0: Keep us, my God, in the thing that is perfect even now. For we're jealous in getting your full statement, Lord, that you've got the I's and crossed the T's and put your exclamation points and underlines where they need to be, that what is in your heart would be fully registered upon ours, that we might give ourselves, Lord, to being your servants and fulfilling the remarkable thing hinted at in this text. So we thank you, Lord, precious God. Come and continue, Lord, with us, we pray. We cherish every word that proceeds from your mouth and desire that, that fulfillment that you might obtain your glory and that many might believe upon you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm looking over the little things that I scribbled this morning. that looks like I've already cited most of them uh what it will be now is more or less more a summary than any really fresh thought but it wouldn't hurt in in summarizing and underlining some of the principal thoughts and john is uh, reminding me that i should probably take this occasion before i do that to share the principal dream that came to me about 25 years ago in this place and for which we have waited fulfillment and believe that the new york invitation is that fulfillment? You can even help us in the interpretation. We've never had a satisfactory interpretation of that dream. that maybe it has waited for this time and for this congregation. So here it is. I dreamt that um, I was on top of a mountain, walking with another brother, following a figure in front of us, maybe some hundreds of yards away, and that our every move was dependent on how we closely observed where he was going. And uh, the brother with me was never identified in the face that I could uh, recognize, but the sense of his brotherness was clear, that this was one with whom there was a relationship of trust and a history. And at the last moment, I watched this figure in front of us dip into a side path, and if I had not observed it, I would have missed it. But because I caught it at the last moment, we were able to follow him down in the Labyrinthine Pass, down that mountain to the base of the mountain. The mountain, by the way, was domed rather than peaked. You know what that means? It means that it's more ancient. And when we got to the bottom, I was by myself. The brother somehow was not in the picture, and I'm looking up to the... Well, first of all, I'm seeing the base of this mountain. And it's remarkable, it has like squared off stones, but they're not cut by hand. But they give the impression of foundational stones, and they're covered with moss, indicating their antiquity. And I'm looking up, I'm standing on that plateau, the floor, looking up at the mountain from which I've just come, and great boulders begin to roll off on me. And I'm looking up, and these great boulders are coming down, and they're missing me just falling harmlessly by me and one last boulder coming as they say that has your number and I, I'm looking as I, I'm finished and as it's coming down I hear a voice saying watch out though I don't see the figure and I take one step and it misses me the next scene is I'm on that plateau and I'm on a moving escalator uh, moving toward a building in which I know I'm to receive a shower and the, that escalator is not loaded with people, only here and there are a few souls. But I'm the only one taking off all my clothing, and not at all ashamed to do so. And folding it neatly, and putting it down by my feet, and putting an object on top of it, which is supposed to be my Bible. I never do see in the dream the shower, but I know that I, it's necessary for me to be stripped, and it's necessary for me to be cleansed. And when I come out of that shower, I am in New York City clearly, unmistakably, and there are great crowds. And in the crowd, I notice a distinguished-looking people that are clearly Jewish, wearing Van Dyke beards, but not like your typical uh, Orthodox where it's just unkempt, but nicely trimmed and giving an indication of a quality and a character not often found among Orthodox, certain erudition, learning, dignity, bearing, uh, a, a significant kind of people and somehow I get into conversation with them and they're offering me a lift in their limousine and they're supposed to take me to the bus station where I would rendezvous with the brother with whom I began the dream and in the stream we drive past the bus station and I'm saying, hey aren't you supposed to let me off? oh they said, we'll bring you back there later I never do see that brother again in the dream the next thing I'm in Brooklyn and in that portion of Brooklyn Flatbush which I know very well, I I walked and played through those streets as a kid and was sitting on the sidewalk in rickety wooden chairs uh, very reminiscent of the depression years when you had no entertainment but just to kibitz in and play outside and talk sitting on the stoop, sitting on these chairs and these people are talking and relating to me as if there's no problem whatsoever there's a remarkable accord and an acceptance of these people Though I myself do not have a beard, and clearly I'm not out of their milieu and out of their environment, but their acceptance is clear. The the talk is very easy and pleasant. I'm not at all a threat or rejected. And at one point in that time with them, I'm saying, I need a haircut. And so the one brother says, well, the Redditson, the rabbi's wife, gives haircuts. I said, oh, okay. And the next thing I know, I don't see the haircut and I don't see her but I know I received one. The next scene is a series of scenes. I'm in a Brooklyn candy store, typical. The only thing is that it's completely abandoned and all of the fixtures have been removed from it, even the light fixtures. But I know that to be a candy store, and I'm sitting on the floor with the kids from this Jewish community and kind of talking and playing with them uh, in the light that comes through the windows. And one of the kids gives me his father's calling card. He's a rabbi. The card is black, and the letters are in pale yellow, of the kind that the yellow star that Jews wore in the concentration camps. And I notice the address, but I know that there's no synagogue at that particular address, and yet so it must be symbolic or something. The final scene is I'm back again with the whole community of them, and we are actually crossing Avenue U, and uh, as we're crossing, one of, the brother, one of the men turns to me and he says, "And from where have you just come? The fact of the matter is I've just come back from Africa. And I'm turning to him and I'm saying, well, uh, I have just, uh, uh, I found myself speechless as if someone had pulled a cord, the plug out of the wall. I had not the energy or the strength, the ability, even to give a simple piece of information and the dream ended. I woke with a start, uh, with that kind of conclusion, that somehow if that plug is disconnected, I'm unable even to give information, let alone anything of significance. And it was time to go to the morning prayer meeting. And so I'm walking to the prayer meeting, talking it over with the Lord. Lord, it's a private, personal dream, that I share this with them as well. He said, share it. We spent the entire morning, two to three hours, just reviewing the different aspects of that dream, and giving rare suggestions of what the boulder might mean, what the haircut might mean, but this much was clear. The dream was indicative of a call to New York City. Whatever New York City represents, much more than what it is in itself, maybe a statement of um, the exile of Jews scattered in all lands, And what this particular orthodox people represent, I don't know. But we understood that it was a statement from the Lord that our ultimate destiny was New York City and the Jewish community there. So when the invitation to New York came, we felt that it was an answer to that dream which we had been holding for a quarter of a century. I'll tell you how the invitation to New York came. Some of you are seeing the pamphlet or booklet that we're preparing for Jewish readers in New York. It came to us from a brother, a Jewish brother in Florida, who called to say the Lord has given him a burden that something should be written for Jews in New York about the coming time of Jacob's trouble, already becoming apparent in the increase of violence, anti Semitism, and that we should be the ones to write this, and that he would pay for everything, a budget of $12,000, 12 being the number of the tribes of Israel in the apostolic number. And, um, and so we took that to heart. This brother is not Finflam. He's a man of almost my age, earnest, and if he says the burden was from the Lord, I believe that without be question. And that it would be advertised in the New York Times. I suggested the New York Times book review section because that appeals to an, a readership of a very distinct kind. And when you read that, we have four copies of it circulating in the room here. You'll see that it's not addressed to the ordinary Jew, but some who have either a religious background or a sophistication, an erudition of a certain kind to make the content meaningful. Well, I had just written the introduction, and I brought it down to the morning prayer meeting. And those who are in the room will remember that as I began to read it, the Spirit of God fell. And I started to break and to weep, and people started to come out of their chairs in prayer and prophecy it, it, it was a, a, a visitation of the Lord as, as marked as anything that we had ever experienced in our history, and as close to the, uh, the Lord's calling in Acts 13 to the Antioch Fellowship separate unto me, it was a clear separate unto me by a visitation of the Lord in the reading of the first portion of that document before the entire assembled community in the, in the prayer time. It wasn't my coming down from my bedroom and saying, I got a dream. It was the Lord Himself clearly uh, establishing the call to New York. Two days later, we had a second visitation of the Lord. A brother from New Zealand was present who prophesied, and the Lord filled in and made yet more tangible this remarkable invitation, which we interpret as being the answer to the dream that New York was an ultimate. Uh, destiny or destination so you're free to uh, offer interpretation for any of that maybe in conjunction with what we are considering today here's what I wrote earlier this morning whatsoever he saith unto you do it even go to the Jewish Orthodox community of New York City and fill up their water pots <coughs> to the brim by your presence as commanded by the Lord as his whatsoever, drawing water from the wells of your salvation, filling up what is appropriate to their purification that is presently partial and stagnant, and then draw off from what is completed in keeping with their own Jewish rites and practices uh, till it be turned into a new wine better than at the first for uh, rejoicing at our wedding. The substance of the water, I'm quoting now from Matthew Henry's commentary. And by the way, don't turn to commentaries immediately. Seek first the Lord directly for illumination, and then after you have exhausted all of that, then you're free to look at a commentary. And Matthew Henry was remarkable in this text. He writes, the substance of the water required a new form by the addition thereof so it's water added to water maybe uh, either water of a new kind or water of a similar kind Um, and that the blessing of the gospel turns the water into wine as against the shadow of the law which is water, legal purification according to the law and the tradition of the elders and that the first miracle presages the last as it culminates in the Wedding Feast of the Lamb, our translation at their restoration. Listen to that. Our translation at their restoration. Uh, Their need is met by wanting to complete their their ceremony and their wedding, but at their meeting of that need for them, which is their restoration, is also at the same time our translation our glorification so the two things come as one there's no translation of the church no glorified body no coming of the Lord until Israel's destiny is effected one is contingent upon the other but their destiny requires our filling up whatsoever he saith and do it even go to the Jewish Orthodox community in New York and fill up their water pulse. Christ would have the new wine brought to the governor of the feast, remaining himself concealed as the true benefactor, for the extraordinary tokens of Christ's presence and power would not to supersede or jostle out the ordinary or traditional rules or methods of piety and devotion. This is Matthew Henry. So he trans—this is me. He transforms it unto joy of salvation, not by replacement, but by the filling of the existing thing to the brim by more of the same through the implicit unquestioning obedience of his servants to his whatsoever the substance of the water thereby acquiring a new form so I'm reading into this text our own call to New York as a servant obeying the whatsoever of God though it doesn't make any immediate sense we don't know what it will in fact detail, but somehow the obedience and the coming and drawing out of the well of our own salvation will bring their stagnant water to the brim, which is the requirement not to replace it but to transform it. And so the tendency of the church has been to repudiate and to reject what is existent in Jewish tradition and observance of the law as being passé. But I think that the Lord is implying, far from that, my intention is not to displace it, but to employ it. Mm -hmm. And that you have got to be willing to add your water to what already exists, and only the water that you can bring will transform that substance into another, namely wine. Mm -hmm. So if the governor will say that this new wine is better at the last than the first, what will those who drink it say? They will have to agree that indeed that's true. The new wine exceeds the old. And rejoice for what has come, mm-hmm. the prophetic man interprets the scriptures in the context of the historic moment, mm-hmm. so I would say that they will run out of wine or they it will be apparent that they have not anything more in view of the increase of terror yeah. and persecution that will ever afflict them with the collapse of the stock market, their security, their categories, their religious and and humane and liberal views will come to an end. They'll know that that there's a lack. Or, just as the consciousness is coming first to the director of the feast, it will subsequently come to them, and in that moment the Lord is acting to bring them into, not just a continuation of what they had, but into a new quality, quality, a new um, dimension of divine reality, that more more than will answer the crisis of... Lack will bring them into a joy unspeakable and full of glory. Think that we are at a new historic threshold between the two communities who are biblically based and scripture revering and honor the God of Scripture, who have been historically to this moment separated. That the Lord is wanting the adjoining and an accommodation. It's critical for their salvation and our glorification. Um, Remember the word poignant that came up yesterday, or pathos. If we treat those root stone jaws with contempt, we're not going to be fastidious to fill them. There's got to be a certain empathy and respect, even though we know that what is practiced from them is more traditions of men than biblical requirement. Still, it has to do with a sense of piety, with a desire to be clean before God. Uh, we can't be contemptuous and disdainful of that and be servants that fill that pot. The fact that they are stone and that they are not cast, they are bronze or sculpted things indicates the word that I use, melancholy. We have to look upon them with a certain kind of pathos, and a certain poignancy. say, Oh, my, how pitiful that these Jews think that, that by the washing of their hands and the containing of this water that somehow it, it's serving uh, purposes that are holy. But that's their, that's their limitation. That's their blindness. And so the Lord himself employs that and does not discard that. If we discard it in our own hearts and our own attitudes, the miracle is nullified. Something is required from us, of that which is out of his own heart, which is a pathos of identification and sympathy with the thing that is and exists, though it's stagnant and only partial, and more the tradition of men than it is the actual requirement of law. We cannot bypass it and put the wine directly on the table. It's got to come through that existing framework. And that's a test for us. If there's an element of pride or superiority that, that will not con- condescend to that, forget the whole miracle. Something is being tested in the servants. There's more than just blank obedience. Who knows what was in their hearts that had to be overcome in fulfilling the requirement to fill those thoughts and it needs to be overcome in our hearts also. And as I'll pick up tomorrow, probably, of what happened in Canada, <coughs> you'll have a graphic picture that. Many Christian hearts are not willing and are antagonistic to any condescension to the Jewish community and its practices as it now is. They would completely not only discard and reject uh, any ministry to those parts, they would bring them down and completely shatter and destroy them and say that the new has replaced them. The Lord did not replace he employed. We need to be one with him. I would say if a one could come to them or a church could come to them and show and take their water used only in a ceremonial way uh, in their desire to, to obtain some kind of holiness, and show them a greater implication and application that would take the, that would bring a water of a kind that fills up what they already have and changes its substance, not discarding it but bringing new dimensions of understanding of what real holiness is. And what real cleansing is, and what real separation is, of which you have only a partial and pitiful and inadequate expression, but we're not dismissing that expression, we're bringing an additional water of application and interpretation to fill it up, that, thereby changing its substance. And, no one does that and that's something they can't perform for themselves. It's got to come from others who have the better water of life, but do but not despise what they have. But I think this comes back to the suppleness of the wine skin. If we are too brittle in our own categories and balk at an obedience of the whatsoever that he requires, the miracle is nullified. So there has to be a flexibility, a a suppleness, uh, and an ability to understand what the Lord is wanting requiring, and not to balk at it, because as if we are condoning, justifying, or sanctifying the traditions of men. And yet we can add water to that and thereby transform it. The Lord is saying a number of things here. And we have to somehow, they're not peaceful, they're all related and integral. Remember that when I came to that yeshiva in New Jersey, on that winter night they we were celebrating Poland, there were schnapps on the table, booze and gin. for for men who do not have access to the spirit of life and need to simulate something by a substitute. So maybe until they see the expression of the true wine of necessity, they'll have to dabble with its equivalent, become red-eyed over it. And that's part of our, our function and our ministry to them. So much will be at stake in how I deport myself, assuming that a door of acceptance is granted. And don't think that I'll not be provoked. There will be wise Alex and men who are seething with anger. The officials may have allowed me, but there will be men who will be jabbing, making wisecracks, and taunting me, and making uh, implications about Jesus as being illegitimate. Uh, That my response to those provocations will be critical. But, of course, not the least of the benefit and reasons for the Lord sending me is to get to understand where they are, directly hearing them out of their own mouths, that we would not speculate what we think they believe, but be in the midst of them and catch the whole sense of where they're at, how they understand the future, how they understand the present, what what they expect messianically. And uh, I'll tell you this, because they are waiting for the the Hasidim, the... uh, Rubabacha, Hasidim, it's a certain segment. There are two or three principal different Orthodox communities, and they're not in in great agreement. The one in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, is different from the one in Eastern Parkway, Brooklyn. And they even dress differently. And when you go to Israel in the Meir Sheherim, you can distinguish Orthodox Jews on the basis of their dress. Some come out of Polish, some out of Romanian, some are are disciples of this rabbi, some of that rabbi. There's not a complete coherence. Um, but the Lubavitcher, who have Rabbi Schneerson, the one the most evangelical movement to be found among the um, Orthodox, who go out into the world. But when we were in Russia, we found that their rabbis had come and they're establishing communities and giving teachings to Russian Jews who had been robbed of any knowledge of their own identity as Jews <laughs> for the seventy or eighty years of the communist atheistic rule. And so there's a void that they are filling. John Parsons' radio program in Russian began with our visit to a certain city in, in the Ukraine on our way to Kiev. And we stopped in this town, we couldn't go further. And I said, I announced at the, run, at the dinner table there at the hotel, we are not leaving until I've made contact with a Jew. Oh, where are you going to find that? It's late at night, blah, 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 blah. And so, well, there's an orchestra playing. It must be a Jewish musician. And so we sent our interpreter, a German interpreter, speak to them in German, because they can understand that they speak Yiddish. And uh, the man said, well, there is a synagogue here, but it's closed now. But if you go this way and that way, you can find it. We went out from the dinner table into the dark night and found the synagogue, closed, shut, tight. I took a copy of... Ben Israel in Russian, and I slipped it through the mailbox. I go, well, that's the best we can do. But then I noticed there's a man across the street looking at us suspiciously, wondering what we were about. We went across the street, stopped talking to him. He was a policeman, but he was off-duty taking a, con- a constitutional stroll. And, well, what are you doing at the synagogue? I said, well, we're Jewish, and we want to make contact with the community." Oh, well, he said, I don't know how you would do it now. Everything is shut down. But he said, I remember that I took a, my wife took a computer class, and she was talking about some Jewish students in that class, and she knows where they live. So he went to the telephone, called his wife, got the address, and 15 minutes or a half hour was standing outside the doorway of an apartment building, ringing the bell, knocking on the door of this Jewish family. And the door opens, and the man's looking at these foreigners standing outside on the, on the map. And we introduced ourselves. We wanted to make contact with the husband. He welcomed us in. His wife was a nurse. And they took out everything that they had. Their tuna fish, their, their uh, uh, eggs. What do you call those? Um, Spurgeon eggs. Caviar, The best that they had, schnapps, booze, bread. And we had a little feast. And while we were there, the son came in uh, with a, 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 a pigtail. What do you call it? And he told us that he had attended a course on the meaning of Jewish history religion given by the Lubavitcher Hasidim in that town. And when John heard that, it ripped our hearts. Where are the Christians giving them an understanding of what it means to be Jewish according to the faith and to the Bible rather than the traditions of men? So that began John's desire to to start a radio program in Russia. And John said, "Art, will you pray for me? And, and lay hands on me and communicate what you have. He said, "I never. When you said you'll not leave town until you made contact with a Jew, I I thought fat chance. But I have to say, God has honored your tenacity and give me, pray for me that I would have that same spirit and that the Lord would uh, open away. So now here's the thing, this Rabbi Schneerson, whom I've heard speak for three hours in Yiddish, and the, you could hear the proverbial pin drop men stood up for three hours to hear this sage and the wisdom that would issue from his lips the, the, the breadth of his knowledge not just in in scripture and and rabbinical uh, tradition and torah but he had been an engineer and knew secular realms of knowledge and bring in appropriate things he was a tower of wisdom They thought that he had the qualifications to be Messiah because they were not as steeped in the Biblical requirement as we ourselves because he was brilliant, because he was righteous, because he led a holy and sanctified life, because he was a great teacher, because he was the descendant of six or seven generations of distinguished rabbis, that he was the Messiah. But he went and died on them. Uh, In his 91st or 93rd year, but they were so persuaded that he had to be the Messiah that they are awaiting his resurrection. So in a magazine to which I subscribe there's an article by David Berger a rabbi and a professor of history at Queens College in New York saying that these Hasidim and Orthodox Jews are introducing for the first time the dangerous Christian heresy of believing that a man can die and be resurrected again who is Messiah and who had not fulfilled his earthly calling, and that it requires his coming again. He said, if that begins to penetrate the Jewish community, it opens us to Christian belief. And this is the most dangerous heresy that has ever come down the pike and needs to be recognized and combated. And that's the New York into which I'm coming. That's the controversy that is presently raging about whether there could be an expectancy that a man who had lived and exhibited and demonstrated such godly qualities as to, as to be recognized as Messiah can die and then be resurrected to come and to fulfill this messianic call. The Jews can believe that, Rabbi Berger says in his article, it will not take much to move them from Rabbi Schneerson to Jesus Christ. We are at a historical moment and a crossroad of time in which every factor is palpitating, including the September 11th destruction of the trade towers that has affected the whole climate and disposition of New York that I could not recognize my own city, that the new cordial atmosphere and humbly had come to an entire people whose arrogance and uh, anti social attitudes were well known. I could not believe the respect and kindness and deference that is now exhibited, which would make the, my coming and ministry men like me more acceptable than than before. So it's a whole conjunction of time and event at the same time that what is triggered in Israel is now affecting Jewish communities worldwide. That anti-Semitism is erupting of the vilest kind that has not been known since the Middle Ages. The blood libel that Jews kill Gentile children use their blood in the making of their matzah and certain ritual needs has not been heard since the Middle Ages. Coming from university professors and learned people in sophisticated civilizations. Jews, Jews are terrified because they had not dreamed that this kind of thing could take place in modern times. That they're more frightened now by what is erupting than even by the Holocaust past. Mm. This, this is ominous. This note that's being struck is being struck worldwide Norway, uh, Denmark, France, 600% increase in uh, anti-Semitic episodes, the firebombing of their synagogue, and when the firemen come to put it out, they are pelted with stones by Muslims to keep them from extinguishing the flames. They have complained to to the French authorities that we're not being defended, we need protection as French citizens, and the French government has said, don't expect it. We are not capable of providing it. It's too extensive; It cannot be controlled by government. And so when I heard that, I knew what it is that will constitute the grit of the time of Jacob's trouble and why Jews will be uprooted and fleeing in nations which are not necessarily opposed to them but cannot protect them. They cannot remain. In, in, in urban centers where they will be identified as Jews it will just be too dangerous. We're going to see bombs uh, what do they call them human bombs, these uh, suicide bombers not confined to Israel but being, blowing themselves up in New York City and a Jew will, will be afraid to go out on the street as they're afraid to go out on the street now in Germany, France, Italy and if these if three nations, England, Germany and France leaders of the communities, distinguished Jewish voices have warned their communities learn a new language and pack your bags because it's not going to be safe to remain but pack your bags to go where? and so the whole issue of places of refuge for Jews in flight becomes the paramount uh, issue before the church of the last days so this woman will flee into the wilderness where a place has been prepared for her, and where she will be fed for three and a half years. And if that place is not provided, there will be no Jewish survival at all. The Jewish community monitors all of these reports, We is we only get a little fragment. They know exactly what is happening worldwide, and they are terrified. And because they are terrified, as I was sharing in in the break that we had, they are much more amenable to consider a friendship with evangelical Christians because of, uh, they're so desperate for allies and, and someone standing with them at a time when they're threatened everywhere and they realize that the evangelical Christians are the ones that have the deepest affinity for Israel but they're also the most dangerous because they seek the conversion of Jews <laughs> but whatever the danger in that, uh, they are so desperate for uh, uh, the ally that they're now approaching and uh, showing themselves friendly to Evangelical uh, Christians and and ministries in a way that heretofore had never existed. That is a plus for me, and as you'll remember from the letter that I wrote, I'm suggesting to them little thing that I am in myself, maybe this is the beginning of some kind of bridge of connection uh, that will bring to the Jewish community a support from Christians who will be made more knowledgeable about Jewish life and need through your willingness to accept and to instruct me. And so you you mustn't be hasty to dismiss me as a threat when it may well be a provision of god for a new historical moment that has arrived in which there needs to be some bridge of connection between essentially believing or scripture revering communities so pray for that letter pray for its acceptance pray for the door to be open pray for my ability and uh to be a student among them at my age and to learn of them and to de- deport myself in such a way as does not shut the door, though I would be provoked or whatever, that they will catch something of the sense of the word in the grace that will accompany me before them. But the talk about dreams, I have had a dream here at Ben Israel where I was awakened by a pounding on the front door, something like 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. I went down in my pajamas in Bethel, Two policemen were at the door, and arrested me, and someone from my house, not Inga, and threw us into the back seat of the car, bound, and drove us off into the night. And I'm asking, what are you doing? What does all this mean? And one of the two men turned and said, you are among those who love the Jews. We know that uh, after our three year being cast out from this place and the return, Inga said she would not return until we had extended the living room. The house was too small and so we extended it and upstairs I have now my loft which if you'll come there'll be a tour I'll show you and the carpenter built it was a Christian it was his first uh, um, job in the establishment of his own company and he left a gaping hole in the wall of the upstairs loft that I have and I said to him aren't you going to repair that? No he said oh, he said. That's your Corey Ten Boom hole. That hole is still there in my wall. And I've got a desk up against it with my uh, uh, fax machine and my radio and so on. You would never know that there's a hole large enough for adults to crawl through and go under my attic. It has never been repaired. When he said that, this is your Corey Ten Boom hole, the Spirit of God came down on my head and over my shoulders with the hem of my garment. That hole remains. So I don't know how the Lord's going to do it. Our name gives us away. Our location is accessible. They're not that hidden. Unless there's a covering, we'll be found out. But here's what I'm expecting. I'm expecting regional revival. We are on an Indian reservation here, the Leech Lake Indian Reservation. And that's going to afford us, I believe, a measure of protection and insulation from other governmental sources. They have to respect Indian nationality and sovereignty. They have already in Red Lake their own courts, their own police, their own institutions. I believe it will take place here. And somehow that will be protection also. But the Indians then must be in alignment with this vision and call. And right now, they're, they're, they're distant. From so expecting regional revival by which they will be swept up and taken up into the purposes of God. The brother in Idaho, Mike Schwartz, who invited me now for a second conference, when he called me the first time, he said, I already said uh, after we talked about the details, I, I have a dream that I don't understand. Does it make any sense to you? He said, I saw lines of Jews bedraggled and uh, in torn clothing and shredded and beaten. Walking in remote places, and there were Indians on horses guiding them. Does that make any sense to you? I said, Powerful. So, there's a drama that is being outworked, and to which we are all called. Well, when they come, they'll be occupying this building. You can leave your blessing behind in this place. and that this will harbor them. But the Lord has given us this building is itself a miracle. We, this whole property was sold to an unbelieving man who tried to give this building to the uh, one of the uh, governmental agencies and they didn't want it. And he was stuck with a tax liability and so he offered it to us. We had withdrawn and taken all of our interest and just trusted the Lord and the building came back into our laps with the six acres of ground upon which it stands as a gift, a benefit for him in being saved the tax uh, bill and blessing to us that enables you to be here now and Jews one day to find a place of refuge here. So pray now for the, re- uh, the re- return of the entire property that the Lord gave at the first going back now for 28 years when at the head of the camp road here as being a speaker 40 miles away from here and being brought to this property that was for sale it was a voice camp that had gone bankrupt and they said, Art, would you care to see this property? I said, why not? I was living comfortably in a 17-room house in New Jersey that Inga loved, I would have loved ever to remain and so sure, like, you know, let's go for a ride. When we got up to the head of the road, no trespassing, there was a chain across the entrance of the property. I stepped over the chain as my foot came down On the prophet, the Lord said, Dominion, end-time teaching center, community, refuge. We did not even understand refuge for whom or what refuge meant. We didn't know what community meant. But when the word of the Lord comes, take and fill up these stone pots with water. You don't ask, you obey. That's why we're here. That's why you're receiving the blessing and the benefit. What did that end of the dream mean? When I could not even give a piece of information, as if a plug had been pulled out, and I had not the life even to to, to speak an innocuous thing, let alone a ministry. I felt that that was breaking the cord of connection between myself and the community. and losing thereby the life, the energy, the dynamic, the strength. I can only come... As we are organically joined, Amen. so that the dream ended like that, and I woke with a start and a fright, was a word showing the enormous significance of the connection between Antioch and those that are sent from it. The laying on of hands uh, of the Antiochal believers upon Paul and Barnabas, God construed as being sent forth by the Holy Ghost. It was not a cheap little genuflection or a little ceremonial uh, symbol. It was a statement of identification that there would not have been the kind of apostolic ministry that turns the world upside down unless they had been sent and kept in, in connection with and be uh, interceded for by that sending community. Their laying on of hands was the statement that we are joined with those who go from us. And the power and the authority that they had to turn the world upside down was that connection. And so we needed as much now as, as at the first inception of an apostolic sending, pray for the base, the Antioch, as well as the one sent from it. Okay. Well, let's end with a prayer, and a prayer that asks the question, has that last boulder that had my number on it yet fallen? Have I stepped aside, has it safely passed, or is it yet some threat before departure for New York? So, um, put that before the Lord who wants to conclude for us in prayer